human thought, all science, all religion, is the holding of a candle. Philosophical minds are Are we human because we gaze at the stars? Or do we gaze at them because we are human? Point the tree. Do the stars were right back, they could plunge our world in questions. Sky. But when the stars were wrong, they could not live. But although they no longer lived, they would never really die. When the universe is vast and inexplicable, and you are weak and insignificant, then you know you are playing Call of Cthulhu. This is an actual play of Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, featuring adult themes and horror. Listener discretion is advised. Find our published scenarios at starsareright.com or contact us for help unleashing your own twisted tales upon an unsuspecting world. And now, settle in, dear listener. Intrigue, high adventure, and cosmic horror await when the stars are right. Hello and welcome back, listeners. Today we will be playing session six of Loki's Gift from Calls of Cthulhu, written by Chris Lackey, Mike Mason, and friends, and published by Chaosium. Who are you playing and how are you today? How? I'm playing Dr. Ephraim Glifford, and I'm just happy to be here. Jason. I am playing Gabriella Halsey, and I am low key terrified right now. <laughs> <laughs> Noxicals. I am playing Francis Avery, and I am, uh, um, uh, um, uh. <laughs> Lydia. I'm playing Alice Thorne, and I'm taking up a new hobby of sculpting octopuses. And I'm Fedra, your keeper for the day, and I hope you all get your withered head in the game tonight. <laughs> hey. Get your head in the game. Hal, tell us what happened last time. In a back room of the brothel, our heroes have managed to see off most of Francis's assailants. One remains, along with a young lady who led them there, who now offers help. Francis refuses her underwear as a bandage, but the party is grateful for her information. There's a tunnel that offers a secret way out. No time is wasted in gagging the captured thug and ushering him out into a dark alley at gunpoint. The young lady opens up further en route. Her real name is Mary Walsh, and she wants help getting back home to Ireland. Help Alice is again able to provide by means of her charity network. Mary reveals the brothel's madam is the one who made her act as bait, though she is only a puppet of the owner, Mr. Robbins, the very same man running the Pacific Club. She confirms that Charles Gladstone and Chillingworth were known patrons, though the latter only talked and bought drinks. Exhausting Mary's knowledge, the group turns a listening ear and firm backhand on their captive. He admits only that Robbins wanted them roughed up as a warning to keep their noses out of it. Francis balks at physical vengeance despite Ephraim's encouragement, so the ruffian runs off into the night with only a couple of bruises to remember them by. Next morning at breakfast, Ephraim receives the withered and blackened head of Robbins with a note saying, stay away from Loki's gift. Fearing scandal and the discomfiture of his wife and daughter, he buries it in the garden. The papers report that the matching body was found in an alley outside the Pacific Club, similarly wilted. The logical next step is to dig up the head and hold a seance in the Glyphid Garden. Gabriella perceives that Robbins was the victim of a surprise betrayal. Over cucumber sandwiches, the investigators discuss the lack of honour among thieves and consider leads. Gabriella questions the copper she is stepping out with, who claims the whole thing was a prank. The corpse was actually a stolen mummy dressed in modern clothes, and a retraction is expected in tomorrow's papers. With no help from the Rosas and precious little evidence, there may be little to do before the much-anticipated dress rehearsal of Loki's gift and its ominous after-show party. 
So, talk to us about your plans, everyone. You, it's, it's, uh, it's evening, I guess, so you don't have much to do uh, tonight, unless you want to get into some more late-night activities. But you still have um, the best part of tomorrow before the rehearsal. You've pulled on quite a lot of different threads, but it, I'll give everyone one main thing you can do before the rehearsal starts. Yeah, I mean, realistically, we haven't we haven't got anything left to do except rock up to this rehearsal, have we? I mean, going back to Chillingworth is going to be pointless and potentially dangerous, actually. He did send me a, a severed head and tell us to butt out, so yeah, he might be... Well, it wasn't him, it was theoretic... Well, we don't know who it was, do we? Well, Robbins wasn't top man. We know that much, because it was his head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he certainly isn't anymore. So yeah, I mean... Is there anything that we want to attempt to do as a group, or are we all going to, like, stay in touch and try and prepare ourselves? I mean, I'm assuming we're going, right? Oh, yeah. I think we have to. Mm-hmm. Man sends you a severed head, mm. tells you not to go. Francis promised that desperate woman. Yeah, um, Ruth. So, yeah, he's going regardless, I think. I think the logical option is to locate the cast and start literally breaking their legs. Sounds <laughs> 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 great. Isn't it normally Gabriella who comes up with the ridiculous options? <laughs> well, Gabriella will have to do the breaking. She's the swole one. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. We could just follow them around London shouting, Macbeth, Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a bit it's of a, a walk. psyop. We could always um, go there considerably earlier and uh, get some dinner, at least in the local area. The idea of turning up early and scouting up Scouting up? Scouting out who turns up and scouting whether anything down? weird is scouting around. Scouting stage left. <laughs> Working out whether anybody is, um, you know, who's arriving, is there anything yeah. weird going on around it? You know, maybe trying to get a listen at the stage doors to hear if there's any weird ritual John thing. I don't know. Mm. Um, that seems like mm. a good plan. But before that, is there anything we want to do? I like that there's an actual plan involved, because I thought you were just thinking about what to have for dinner. And I was like, that is important, to be fair. <laughs> what do you take me for? <laughs> but actually, no, I was thinking of maybe French cuisine today. Ooh, Ooh French. Mm -hmm. I could give some hors d'oeuvre. Mouille. Um, Yeah, and it's autumn as well, so... I suppose it's gonna at least be starting to get dark around the start of the performance, right? Um, yeah. We could still try and check out the Pacific Club a bit, see if we can find out any more information about the dead guy who was no longer head of the organisation. Uh, <laughs> Although I bet they've got their cover story sorted if they've convinced the papers and well, the cops. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's not going to be like a huge crime scene there at the moment, is there? I guess the difference is like... If if everybody is now back to work at the place, or if maybe there's like a little lull, and then they're kind of told, you know, to come back, maybe there's a bit of a window, but mm. I don't know. And what would we do, right? Like break in, look at the paperwork. I mean, realistically, what are we looking for? What what's what's our what are we trying to achieve, right? We're trying to work out why Charles Gladstone killed himself. We know who's involved, and we know that whatever it is that they're doing, it was unsavoury enough to to make him take his life. I 
I don't know, personally I think the thing to do is to go to the dress rehearsal, see what's so bad about this play, and then make a decision about what to do next, who to report, who to accost, you know. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. But Ruth told us that the uh, dangerous thing is going to happen at the after-show party. Yeah. And she said that mm. everything went wrong when the octopus sculpture, the uh, the god sculpture, kind of came into Chillingworth's possessions. So, I mean, the other option is to try and find that sculpture and take it away, because clearly there's some bad energy on that. But that would be a pretty difficult thing for us, none of us being professional cat burglars. I mean, that... That artist collective is, it's just full of people staying up all night and yeah. doing drugs and, yeah. you know, we're not going to be able to sneak in. But it would be pretty tough. We know when they'll all be gone. If we want to just totally ruin the climax of this adventure, we can spend the dress <laughs> rehearsal breaking in. You're cool with that, right, Fedra? I can hear yeah, Fedra's teeth grinding from yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I think, I think I know what Francis would want to do with its day. I mean, first of all, he's going to want another night's sleep to recover from his, you know, sort of, if not broken, then very badly bruised nose. Um, but I think he would spend the day at a library of some sort, whatever library he thought best, looking up um, history and folklore to search for mention of octopus gods. That's what he would do. That seems sensible. Mm. Alice will be going over to Southwark to check on the centre that she runs and to see if Belle, a.k.a. Mary, made it there and to uh, check that she is all right and to try and work out what she's going to do in the future. I think Ephraim will be trying to put his society connections to work because what we're assuming but don't have quite confirmed is that Chillingworth is the mastermind of this operation and he offed Robbins when he was no longer useful or what have you. Um, but he's sceptical that the man is like working alone and has that much pull to have uh, this guy who operates at least one brothel and the Pacific Club in his pocket when he's just some sort of layabout artist. So he'd want to make discreet inquiries among uh, gentlemen of influence to see if he can find out who's bankrolling him or like whose nephew he secretly is or anything of that kidney. I think Gabriella is is keen to actually go to Piccadilly. Maybe not to, you know, sit in, in a restaurant and eat all afternoon, but at least at least visit one of the main uh, cathedrals there and and pray for a bit. And you know, you never know if um if some people going to this rehearsal are also believers, then maybe she'll get something out of them. Or, you know, at least she'll be in the area to, you know, be around. We kind of failed miserably when we went to see the composer and we got kicked out, but I don't know we if did. there's anything more we could do there. Give well, it another go. I did have one crazy suggestion, which you can by all means ignore completely, but he has to get over to Piccadilly from where he is. We could hire somebody to pose as a cab or coach driver, and um, instead of going to the rehearsal, he uh, or she delivers him to us. 
But does he need to be at the Ooh. rehearsal? He's the composer, not necessarily Yeah, the but it's a dress rehearsal. Like, yeah. I, it, it would make sense for him to be there. Yeah, but would they not do it if he wasn't there? Or would they just go, no. well, he hasn't turned up, maybe he's offed himself as well and carrying on? <laughs> well, I suppose it depends, but... but... You, usually at a dress rehearsal, you've got all the important people there, composer included, as like the, yeah, know, the, the opinion of how the music should be performed and yeah. blah blah blah. So there's going to be last minute revisions and corrections, yeah, definitely. But they're not going to let him cab on his own, are they? He's going to be cabbing with Pinky and the Brain or whatever they were called. The two Good guys. Cecil. Cecil. <laughs> I did think Most of that. So. Player, Cecil. We would we would have to get the cab to arrive a bit earlier, perhaps. Okay, I'm I'm gonna need a recap of what's happening because we've thrown a lot of ideas around here. Some some very good. Some downright terrible. <laughs> and some not very good. Very diplomatic, Fedra. <laughs> very tactful. Uh, yeah, Gabrielle's gonna go to Piccadilly early and um, attend one of the cathedrals, attend mass, and pray, etc. Um, <clears throat> so we have library research of generic octopus god gods. Yep, yep. We have going to the church in Piccadilly. Um, is anyone going to see Daniel Ridley or are you going to the Pacific Club? Can you remind me the other two, sorry. I was going to try and talk, uh, I was going to go down to some other club or whatever where I can reliably find a load of gentlemen to, yeah. And Alice was going to go and talk to Mary Walsh, the prostitute from the brothel in Whitechapel, because she sent her to the uh, the charity centre that uh, Alice runs, because she wants to find her a decent job and a, a lodging house that's respectable. Okay, so we're not going to uh, Daniel Ridley or the Pacific Club. I have this feeling you're hinting something here. No. <laughs> it's okay. We can proceed with uh, with whatever you picked. <laughs> um, Which is wrong. <laughs> okay, we go pick up Daniel Ridley and take him to the Pacific Club. Now what? Give us the clues. <laughs> oh, sorry. You've made your choices. Yeah. And I'm going to uh, fast forward them. I'm not going to do full, full scenes at this point. Uh, Lydia, you're going there for Mary's. Um, sake, aren't you? You're not actually yep. trying to get any more information out of her, really, because she's told you everything she knows. I, th I think she would. Alice would probably have another conversation with her just to kind of double check that there wasn't anything more that they missed. But mm. yeah, she's she's basically just going to kind of make sure that she's all right and to try and. She really appreciates it. Up. She she yeah. doesn't have any more information for you. Um, okay, but you you're very helpful to her. Ephraim, who are you talking to? Um, you know, a bunch of lords and earls and whatnot. Old friends from the war, old friends from Eton, etc. He's chasing down the money. Who's bankrolling this weirdness? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyone know how this guy raised to prominence, who his contacts are, etc. How about Chillingworth specifically? Uh, yeah. Unless, you know, Robbins was known to be on the take from anyone else. Roll me, um, I guess, luck. Not looking great, that's a 76. You don't manage to get any new information from your friends. I just drink a lot of orange juice. You have a great time. Francis? Yes. Uh, you're researching 
octopus gods. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking into sort of, you know, folklore and, you know, history of, of, of religions and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm looking into sort of semi-occulty kind of books, but, you know, with a academic bent. Um, Are you looking at specific areas, or specific times? I mean, I don't think I have anything of that sort. All I've got to go on is Octopus God, the statue of the Octopus God, right? That's all I've gotten. They haven't said, okay. you know, he got it from the, <laughs> you know, the people of such and such a region or whatever. So it's okay. just a general search for that kind of thing. Okay, uh, roll me library use. So I have 55 in library use. And that is... I've just rolled two d10s hilariously. Uh, oh, but that's fine. It's either a 12 or a 21, and both of those are a pass. Okay. Um, so they're both a hard pass, in fact. So. Okay. Um, you. I'll say you spend all day uh, researching in the library. This is not uh, something that's easy. You find various sea-related things, or maybe water-related, but specifically when it comes to... Um, octopus-related worship. Um, I'll say it doesn't seem necessarily strictly relevant, but uh, you bump into some historical information about a thing called the Narvaez expedition in 1528. And you find that very interesting because it appears to involve a 20 feet tall statue um, which is not similar to what you've been described but it was made from dark green almost jade like crystal in the shape of a dragon with the head of an octopus with long clawed arms and wings of a bat which, feel, which feels very relevant to you Francis will feverishly take notes and um, you know, and very carefully reference them should he need to uh, provide a bibliography at any point. Um, and, uh, and in that expedition, what is reported to have happened in the end is that the statue was destroyed, but everyone under the influence of the statue proceeded to kill each other as soon as it was destroyed. Wow. Does it say how the statue was influencing people in any way? Does it suggest the statue did anything other than be a statue? Um... At the time, uh, they seemed to worship it and they believed it offered them protection. Ah. Uh, but it's not 100% clear what it actually did. Um, and after the statue was destroyed, the entire village where it was placed um, had been burned to the ground and uh, it has never been seen again. Ooh. Thank you, that's very generous, Keeper. Um, I, I wouldn't call it generous. It's, it's more of a fun flavour. I don't think it's helpful to you in many ways. Three down, one to go. Gabriella? Yo. Yo. <laughs> you go to Piccadilly uh, to pray. Mm-hmm. What is... Are you trying to talk to other people in the church? Or are you... What are you... What are you... Not actively, no. Um, I think she would definitely genuinely go to attend mass first um if there happens to be some um i don't know uh disturbing 
thing happen, then she would prick up her ears. But yeah, she is there primarily to pray. Uh, she would also have a little um, session in the box, um, do confession, etc. Um, but what I think she'll do after that is uh, she will she will head on out and I think she'll given you know that this area did used to be fairly familiar to her at one point I think she would try and find her little her little resting spot from when mm. she was younger and, and sort of climb up a little bit and get the lay of the land some more oh that's nice would you like to treat this as um, some time connecting with your backstory? Why not? Yeah. Would you like to roll me sanity? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, easy pass. You spend some lovely time uh, in your old haunts. And you feel once again connected to the city. And you can gain 1d3 sanity, if you like. Lovely chubbly. In preparation for what's to come. <laughs> Take some respite. Brilliant. And uh, time passes and it is now shortly before the dress rehearsal. I'm assuming you've arranged to meet somewhere, or are you meeting at the theatre? Either way, it is at the Green Theatre, 105 Saftesbury Avenue in Piccadilly. Uh, so not that far from where Gabriella is. Well, I mean, we, d we discussed arriving a little early to see, yeah, for dinner and to sort of see if we could scope the place out a bit or see who's arriving. So I guess, you know, we'll agree to meet at an, an eatery you know, within spitting distance. What, maybe in an hour before, an hour and a half before, two hours before? Give it two hours so we can scope the place out, yeah. Yeah, why not? Sounds good to me. Yeah. Not like we have to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of us make a living. Well, I do theoretically have a job. Outside yeah. of this investigation, sir. <laughs> okay, so you spend some time eating, you see several people arriving. Um, most are unfamiliar, some might be more familiar to you, we'll uh, discuss that more in a bit. And the theatre looks as it always does. There's probably a stage door, but no one is entering that way. Possibly everyone performing has been there even earlier than you. And uh, eventually the time nears 7 p.m. You see that the marquee outside of the theater is blank and only half of the exterior gas lamps are currently lit. Uh, there is a young woman outside of the box office and as guests arrive, which they have just started to, she greets and checks them off the invitation list. There is a uh, someone that appears to be standing outside the stage door, presumably a stagehand of some sort. Would you like to uh, enter the theatre? I hope you brought your wallets to pay for your dinner. Oh, yes. I've got a new one now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if it brings his other wallet. Mm -hmm. 
He's got a collection. He pulls out like a rack. You know, like the scene in the movies where like they open the gun cabinet and it's like rifles and it's like that, but it's just wallets, ties, pocket watches. So when you're in the war, did you use your wallet to shoot people? I was a doctor, sir. I was saving lives. <laughs> I'm envisioning, you know, when you have somebody get shot and it bounces off like the Bible in their pocket or mm -hmm. something. It's like that, only it bounces off his wad of money. <laughs> That's right. He's got a load of framed, uh, like, banknotes with bullet holes in that he saved his life at various points. Disgruntled patients. Anyway, um, do we reckon we're actually on this invite list? Or because initially he was like, yes, come, come to my dress That'll rehearsal. Be, uh, oh, oh, oh. And then he twist. was like, here's a withered head, stay away from my play. We still don't know that was him. We don't. No, we don't. I don't know who else it would be, though. Other people involved in his nefarious cult. Oh. Seesaw. We're totally going to get there, and <laughs> Cecil will be like, your name's not Dan, you're not coming in. There's actually a yeah, woman outside with a list. Uh, Cecil would have to appear and take the list. <laughs> it's Cecil's twin sister. <laughs> Cecil pulls off the wig. Also named Cecil. <laughs> Cecilia. Cecilia. <laughs> I guess let's go ask Cecilia if we're on the list. Yeah. It seems sensible, right? Before we resort to trying to break in through the stage door or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, either a pleasant or unpleasant surprise to you, all your names are on the list. And you are allowed inside the bar before the show. I try and lean over her clipboard to see if they've got like little skulls and crossbones drawn next to them or anything like that. <laughs> She's like, excuse me, but you don't spot any crossbones. Here you are, my dear, for your trouble. <laughs> I hand her a, a shilling. Uh, so yeah, the bar is open. Uh, waiters are bringing trays laden with glasses of champagne and canapes around for the audience. Most of the guests are upper class, or at least upper middle class, and are clearly friends and family of the performers. Uh, so... I was thinking we could go around the group and uh, answer the question, is there someone you know here? You can tell us a little bit about them and give us a little background on your relationship. Uh, Gabriella, would you like to start? I can do, yeah. So, Gabriella will have a little tipple at the bar, maybe, maybe sherry or something else in a, a small glass. But she notices somebody who she hasn't seen for a good five years at least um and he was a man who was basically a, a local um at her father's church um when she was uh growing up um and he was always very nice to her um but th they weren't like super close either but it's just a little bit of a surprise uh to see him and his name is john christian <laughs> <laughs> Which came first, his name or the religion? His name is Bill Believer. <laughs> <laughs> I've named him that for a reason. It is somebody I genuinely knew in real life. But really? yes, that there Ooh. is a bit of a... Oh. I hope we don't get sued. He's deceased. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Well, I feel, less, I feel more bad for laughing, aren't I? Jason killed him. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Funny story. Save it for Beyond the Madness. <laughs> I legit thought you'd named a person whose defining characteristic was going to church, John Christian. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's too perfect. Nominative determinism. There we are. <laughs> okay. What about Alice? 
Alice sees a lady that she also has not seen for quite some time. Uh, her name is Cecily Mayhew, and she is an old school chum back from finishing school in the Alps in Switzerland. And they had a very jolly time together, and they went on a lovely holiday to Lake Geneva for a while. You say her name is Cecily. Does she have a, a twin brother by any chance? Well, they're actually triplets. <laughs> Cecilia, Cecily and Cecil. <laughs> Cecily Mayhew. <laughs> Francis? Uh, so Francis sees someone he recognises uh, from more recent times, uh, a Rupert Beecham, uh, although it's spelled Beauchamp. Uh, he's a, a blonde student with sort of strangely cruel eyes uh, that Francis recognises from his lectures. And um, he particularly stands out to Francis because Rupert often arrives to lectures slightly late, looking a bit distracted, and he often has these dark circles under his eyes. Um, but his work's on time and he, you know, he, he, he does what's required. He at least shows up, so it's never been something that's been picked up on. But he stands out among the students that, uh, that Francis teaches, for sure. Ephraim? I briefly considered having Ephraim's dad be in the audience, um, <laughs> but no, I prefer it this way. So Ephraim is going to be, they're handing out champagne and canapes, so Ephraim is going to find some servanty looking type somewhere and start haranguing them about the lack of non-alcoholic options. And then in so doing, he sort of like sweeps an arm grandiosely. Um, and uh, like, you expect me to believe that out of all these people, hang on a second. And uh, he spots someone doing the kind of like, oh god, I hope he doesn't see me, <laughs> like uh, palm against the forehead sort of manoeuvre. Um, and it's his butler, Smithers, <laughs> who's got the night off, and Ephraim's always been too polite to ask uh, what, you know, what he does is his business. Um, but he's got his arm around uh, a showgirl of some description, so clearly he has uh, associations with, with the theatre um, that Ephraim was never aware of. Is he upper middle class? No, but he knows show people. Okay. Is that all right? Yeah, most of the guests, not every, everyone. Oh, you said they, they had to have uh, either were upper middle class or connected somehow with show people. But if if not, then that's we okay. revert back yeah, to that's plan great. A. Let's do it. Ephraim's dad's in the audience no, with his arms okay. around two show <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> you can take a peg. Both are allowed. Uh, it's, no, we'll, we'll go with Smithers. Would you uh, try and make small talk with your uh, acquaintances while you wait or would you like to hang out in your own group and that's a that's a that's an either or question there's no third option <laughs> i'm studiously avoiding my butler on his night that's off fair. apart from anything else i don't want him telling my wife where i am <laughs> everyone else are you avoiding your acquaintances also um i think i at least say hello to him. It would seem a bit rude to just ignore him, given, you know, we were friends of a sort. Alice would definitely go and say hello and catch up. Okay. I think Francis would be unsure of the etiquette of the situation, <laughs> but uh, if Rupert seems to uh, spot him across the room as well, I imagine there'll be uh, polite nods of acknowledgement, but probably not. You know, marching across to ask him whether he's done his homework or whatever. <laughs> so you spend some time either talking to or avoiding your acquaintances. And then shortly before 8pm, a young man comes out from behind the stage's curtains and tells you 
to take your seats as the show is about to begin. A few minutes later, the house lights go down and the orchestra begins playing. You recognize the music immediately as that of Ridley's, the one that he was playing when you visited him. Does it sound any better than when we heard him playing it? Still quite chaotic. Um, the lights come up on a minimalist stage, depicting what could be a nice domestic parlour. A woman and two children stand in the centre. After a short pause, a man, Bertie, enters the room, apparently returning home from work. They all seem quite happy. The play goes on to show that Bertie is a wealthy man with a perfect family. The following day, while on his way to work, Bertie is stopped by a well-dressed man in black who seems to know him, though Bertie doesn't recognize him. The man in black asks Bertie if he's figured it all out yet, but Bertie just looks confused by this. The man explains that Bertie's life is not real and is just a game or a joke that is being played for the amusement of others. As they talk, the man in black reveals that all of the people in Bertie's life are just actors playing their part. With a smile, the man says that Bertie's true parents were vagrants who sold him for a pound. His owners have been paying actors to pretend to be his family and friends his whole life. Nothing is as it seems, and it's all going to fall apart soon. Bertie gets angry with the man in black, who just laughs as he leaves. Bertie thinks this is some kind of joke that one of his work colleagues is playing on him, but despite his bravado, Bertie is very unsettled. You vicariously experience that unease as the play, in conjunction with the music, strikes you as somehow true, in a personal sense. For you. For everyone, even. What if your life is a joke? What if nothing matters? And the only difference between you and Bertie is that no one has informed you yet. You've been allowed to live in the delusion that your life, your connections, your money and possessions, they mean something. They mean you're worthy, but actually, it's just a game, a hollow sham. You're worth nothing. You're a joke. Everyone roll sanity. Crikey. Hmm. Can I just can I just check keeper? Is this is this a musical or does it just have a musical score? It has a musical score. Okay, so it's not like uh -huh. no one's this singing. Is real. <laughs> no. Chorus girls doing a kick line. Oh, I I have failed. <laughs> That's one loss. I have okay. passed. I have very passed. Same. Francis, uh, that touches you more than the others. Would you like to do an involuntary reaction to realizing you're a joke? I think Francis's involuntary reaction, because I, th I think like the need to stay quiet at the theater will overrule any anything of a noisy nature. But I think what he'll do is he'll sort of like sit up like meerkat style and then just suddenly like stare around at everything around him like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? Like, and so anybody who's around will be like, what the hell's going on with that dude? Actually, the rest of the audience also sits unmoving, enthralled by the experience, and looking around, 
tears can also be seen in some of their faces. The next scene shows Bertie returning home, but now the furniture has been sadly altered. His wife has a different hairstyle, and one child is played by a different actor. Bertie seems to know something is off, but he can't put his finger on it. A few more scenes follow, in which Bertie goes to work and has a drink at his social club. Everyone seems to be acting like they're in on some joke, which perplexes and then angers Bertie. All the while, everyone admonishes him for acting like a lunatic. At this point, the music has become particularly discordant. The audience becomes noticeably agitated, some begin to fidget in their seats, others laugh nervously, while a few get up and leave. The show continues. After running away from his home, Bertie wanders the streets not knowing who to trust, eventually having a crisis near a cafe. The man in black reveals himself from behind a newspaper. Bertie pleads with him to explain what's going on, to which he replies, I already have. The man in black explains that humanity is nothing more than an amusing distraction. A silly accident. A fun little joke. What's different about this joke is that we're all complicit in the telling of it. But few of us will ever understand the punchline. The joke is told over and over again, but most people don't even know that it's being told. Even fewer think it's funny. The man in black tells Bertie that the joke is coming to an end, and when it does, the whole world will end. But this is no reason to be glum, as in its place there will be something after, something pure and real. No comedy, just ecstasy and truth. No more confusion, no more wasted effort, no more self-delusion. The man in black goes on to explain that there is a way past the joke. The answer is to laugh at it. This is the first step on the path to enlightenment. There will be many guides on this path, some willing, some not, but they will help Bertie understand. And behind them is the great priest who is really a god. Then there is pause while the actors, the audience and the musicians are all silent in anticipation. At this resonant moment, everyone, please give me another sanity roll. How did I guess? Hey, <laughs> okay, I'm down to 49, so let's see how I do. Oh, I failed again. Yep. Ah, uh, this has passed again. Oh dear. Ooh, that's a fail. We're slowly uh, going down. A pass is a one, a fail is a d6. Ooh, it's a d6. escalating. That's escalating quickly. Ooh, okay. Minus three. Oh, only two. Okay, that could have been worse. After a prolonged pause, the man in black says the name Cthulhu. Simultaneously, everyone else, the other actors, the audience, and those of you who failed your sanity rolls, all repeat the abhorrent name. The silence is broken. People gasp, some laugh hysterically, some cry, others scream or vomit. Some look on, mouths agape, in utter silence. They begin to comprehend the horrible and crashing truth of life being played out before them. Uh, those of you who succeeded your sanity rolls are able to dismiss this realization. 
Those who failed find a clawing hopelessness begin to overwhelm you, bringing you to tears. Or perhaps you understand the cosmic joke of it all and just find yourselves laughing along. Any preferences for those who failed? Oh, I think Francis is a more hopelessness than laughing kind of chap, to be honest, <laughs> despite his uh, attempt at a sunny demeanour. I was going to go tears as well. I picture Ephraim as a kind of a hold it in until he can't anymore sort of crier, and so then it's like a choking, gasping sort of thing. The play continues. Bertie speaks to the man in black, saying he will retake charge of his life. Bertie is shown to dominate his life and family. Now his wife and children adore and obey him, and at work his business partners fear and respect him. But this means nothing to Bertie. The joke finally makes sense to him. It is all meaningless. Success, failure, it doesn't matter. It will end in death, as will all things. No matter what he does, or how he plays the game, he will lose everything. And it doesn't matter. Bertie laughs and laughs. By now, most of the audience is laughing along with him, while others cry hysterically. As he continues to laugh, a noose drops from above. Bertie pulls up a chair, slips the noose around his neck, and kicks the chair out from under himself. The stage goes black, and the curtains close. Then the music changes, bringing you back to some semblance of reality and normality. Oh my god. The majority of the audience starts giving a standing ovation, while a few just sit and contemplate their experience. Interestingly, some of the actors are noticeably not available for the curtain call. However, Chillingworth emerges at the end, bows and thanks everyone for attending. Amidst the applause, he loudly invites anyone who wishes to discuss what they have experienced to come to his studio, where he is hosting an after-show party. You're all welcome, my friends! What on earth did we just watch? I think Gabriella slowly turns towards you, having realised that we're probably the only lucid people in the auditorium. Something very compelling in many ways. Francis, Ephraim, did, are you all right? Did you, did you see it? It, um, I mean, the, the central tenets of it, um, there was a truth to them, a, a, a real sense of truth. <coughs> <coughs> Powerful stuff, what? <coughs> That's a very strange noise. <laughs> Ephraim uh, buries his face back into his handkerchief. Sorry, Perhaps. old chap, not meaning to laugh. <laughs> Perhaps, Alice, we should get them into the fresh air. They're obviously yes. quite emotional. Absolutely. Boys, boys, come with us. Come on. You're all right. Not here. <laughs> Have we seriously been left with the two ladies <laughs> in the group staying sane and coherent and the two men falling into gibbering legs? I love it. Yeah. That makes yes. sense, honestly, because oh, it's, yeah. quite a, it's quite a masculine narrative, mm. isn't it, in mm. a way? Well, Taking control of your wife and business partners. <laughs> His family trembles and obeys. Yeah, Alice has just been sat there glaring with pursed lips, kind of tapping her foot really <laughs> fast till her whole leg is vibrating. Mm. 
Well, the two women in the group are also the sort of least society, as it were, of us. Yeah. And part of the whole point was that, you know, that's all just a silly, meaningless game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes. The idea that uh, titles and money don't mean yeah. anything oh, is yeah, pretty hard. And we're women in the Victorian era. We don't have any power to lose. So, there we are. So, you're going for a break? Uh, going outside to get some fresh air? think so yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i think we'll lead them out J- just onto the uh, the pavement outside it's not you know like we're going far or anything just to give them a breather and let them calm down and and you know get uh what's the word um experience the the senses of london again you know bring them back into you know mm. normality sort of thing mm-hmm Ephraim uh, actually sort of waves a hand because he's still choking into his handkerchief and would like to walk sort of round the corner of the building just into the nearest alley or like road that leaves off. Further he, away so that he doesn't, he's not seen. By his oh, butler, he 100% yeah. does not want, he's not going to have that kind of interclass confrontation right now. <laughs> Awkward. Okay. So the floor is yours until you go to the after party. Assuming we do that, maybe we just go home and talk to our wives That's and great children. Too. Reconsider this whole thing. <laughs> go home, order our wives around, and then kill ourselves. <laughs> you will do no such thing. Partners, get the noose. Remember, plays and other forms of art are there to compel emotion from people and make people think. It's That's all it is. It was more than that, Gabriella. That, yes. that name. We all said it. I'd, I've never heard it before in my life, but we all said it as well. Quiet. Never heard it, but are you, I was moving. Are you telling me that you've never been to any sort of performance where there's audience participation? Go to the pantomime every <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. The true horror. Where is the great Cthulhu? He's behind you. <laughs> oh, no, he isn't. Oh, no, he is. Just to clarify, Gabrielle is definitely kind of centering herself and wanting to be the person who's trying to ground these flabbergasted men, but deep down, especially when everyone was reciting the word Cthulhu um, with just a single prompt, that did freak her out a little bit, but she's keeping that to herself. That makes sense. Alice is feeling distinctly awkward. She's not good with people showing emotions. Which is ironic, really. Mmm. Well, Ephraim is seriously reconsidering teetotalism right now. Uh, it's starting to make sense why so many of those artists are on opium. Looking at the two of you, this has obviously given the two of you something to think about, perhaps, in terms of your lives and, and your privileges. But, again, it is but a play. That's all. But do you see, if it can make us feel like this after one viewing of the of the um, dress rehearsal, I mean not even the final performance if you were immersed in it all the time writing the music, reading the words I can see why Charles did it Yes, I think if we can persuade Lord Gladstone uh, to buy a ticket, he'll he'll understand I don't think we should. No, we should not. He, he lives in bliss right now. I think that would be very unfair on him, but 
Also, I wouldn't mind getting paid. Oh. Oh, I, I thought we were donating the money to charity. How, how, how much were we promised? We're getting paid? Well, I assumed so, given oh. he's Lord Gladstone. I'm sure Ephraim can pay you for your time, Gabriella. Don't worry. Isn't that right, Ephraim? <laughs> it's all just keeping score, really, isn't it? Uh, you, the camera pans across to Ephraim, and he's just got his wallet open, and is just like individually dropping banknotes to the breeze. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, just staring vacantly at them, like he doesn't know what they are. Personally, I don't think this sort of thing should be allowed, and I shall be writing a very angry letter to the arts editor of the Times in the morning. It was somewhat shocking. What do we do? Do we go to the after party? It is obviously very ahead of its time, perhaps, but Francis does bring up a very good question. I can see why lots of the audience will be attending the after party. They want to let out their emotions. They want to, like Ephraim, by the looks of it, you know, have a few drinks. Well, they'll want to discuss their experience with people that understand. Yes. I feel compelled to discuss my experience, and I... And I'm very frightened of it. And Ruth did say that that is where terrible things happen. I have a question for our keeper. Yeah. You said some of the actors weren't available for the curtain call. Yeah. What about the one who hanged himself? The main character? Not available. Really? Star of the show, didn't bow. Fun. And was the noose removed? Like, was it hanging there empty after the curtains opened? That is a very good oh, point. Oh, actually, there's a picture of uh, the bows that I posted on the Discord. Mm. Let's investigate it together. I don't see a noose. You do have a point, though. Speaking as a, a player for a second, yeah, what if he... What if he genuinely hanged himself? He did, yeah, I don't didn't think he? they faked it. <laughs> the chair is there. But no news. All oh they had God. to do was hoist it back into the flies with him still dangling from mm. it. Oh, God. Oh, he totally did it. The cat, the uh, lights went out as he kicked the chair away, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, faking a hanging for the stage is a slightly more involved process, I think. Like, you have to have, like, a harness to safely support their weight unless well, you just want to half ass it you do in 2022 mm, that's i mean true. in 1890 whatever you know i'm pretty sure the ideas of, of theater health and safety are not a thing mm -hmm. that's true but yeah it's quite possible we just watched a dude hang himself and and if nothing else it will definitely have occurred to our characters that that was quite possible if he yeah. wasn't there to take a bow totally oh god and just imagine once this opens for real Imagine every night people watching this and, I don't even know, what could this do to London's audiences? You are assuming that they come away at all. But how would we, how would we stop it? I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing strictly illegal or, I mean, it may be unwholesome, but is it breaking any laws? I mean, how would we, how would we stop this thing? I really don't know. If you'd asked me yesterday, I'd have told you I could have put a word in a few of the right ears and gotten this whole thing shut down, but today it just seems inevitable. What if what if you tried to whisper in the right ears, Ephraim, and they laughed at you? 
I don't think I can bear it. Actually, I do have a quick question for our keeper as well, because I can yeah. see there's an orchestra pit. Was the composer there after all? Like, was he conducting or sitting in the audience? You didn't see him. Okay. Cecil was using him as a conductor's baton. Mm. <laughs> Waving Ow. the entire, the entire Swinging dude around, him around like his stick. head. <laughs> That's like the Tom and Jerry version of Deflator Mouse. So you, you know that time is passing and uh, you are starting to be a bit late to the after party. That is, as you know, at the studio that you've been before. That you've been to before. Yeah. Well, fashionably late is one thing, but we don't want to miss the apocalypse. <laughs> are we going to the after party? And if we are, what are we trying to achieve? Are we going to try and find some way of stopping this thing? Are we just going to try and talk to Ruth and get her out of there? Because in all honesty, like genuinely, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I found that mildly upsetting and I wasn't I wasn't actually watching a real play. Mm. <laughs> We've got to try and stop the play opening, I think. I don't know how. Yeah. Mm. Destroy the script, destroy the music. There won't be one copy of those things, though, surely. Do they still have um, licensing at at this point where things had to be kind of checked by the Lord Chamberlain's department? (laughs) There was, there was, I, I forget when that finished, but they did used to have to check it. But yeah, it probably didn't happen by this point well here's a thought if they are killing their actors <laughs> um that would get shut down the dream of every director <laughs> i feel like even in days of laxer health and safety uh that would cause some sort of scandal so quite apart from how difficult it would have to be to train leading men just over and over but uh <laughs> that's a fair like it, point it's a compelling <laughs> suspicion, right? I kind of want to go poke around in the dressing rooms. Um, yeah. Or if everyone's already left, you know, go and see if those actors are at the after party. Because if they're not, we want to talk to the press or something. You know, trying to get in to check the dressing rooms isn't a terrible plan. I don't know how we would do it, but it's not a terrible plan, right? Yeah. Could we go back into the theatre under the guise of having left something, you know, in the stalls or whatever? And, and try and get backstage. Um, I mean, other than my sanity, which I left in the stalls. <laughs> okay, but uh, you are running the risk of being very late to the after show. A couple of us well, could go on ahead, perhaps. Oh, don't split the party. <laughs> <laughs> if the whole cast has left, there's not much point mucking around. Yeah, everyone has left. The way I see it, mm. we can go to the... Uh, you don't know that. You're hanging out in a back alley, but... <laughs> Is, does this back alley happen to contain the stage door? No, obviously. Well, I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> thought maybe you'd ask me to roll luck or something. Fine. Um, look, why don't we just go and... We've, we've done this before. We went to a theatre and asked to go and talk to the performer after the performance. We just go and find someone who works there and are like, Hey, that was really compelling. The bit where the guy hanged himself. Amazing. Just want to go give him these flowers. And then they're like, oh, no, sorry, he's gone to the after party. Exactly what happens. All right, perfect. <laughs> now do it again. Now you do the voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sorry, he's gone to the after party. Ah, oh. damn it, we missed him. <laughs> we could go to the party and then come back here tomorrow morning and see if we can get in the, the back door again and do, like you said, pretend that we left something here. Yeah. Well, especially um, if, if there's anybody not at the... Because there's no yeah. way the leading man wouldn't be at the after party, right? Totally. Mm. That's a great idea. Let's do that. 
Yes. Okay. The tomorrow. Keeper approves. <laughs> tomorrow, this real day that will, will occur. Definitely be tomorrow. <laughs> well, the way I see it, getting backstage is secondary anyway. What we want to do is check that the actors alive. If you said the after party, all good. Okay, let's do it then. To the after party. The party is well underway when you arrive at Chillingworth's Soho studio. Music can be heard coming from within as you approach. Uh, rather than the discordant melodies of the Loki's gift score, this is popular parlor music. When you arrive, the mood seems lively but slightly off. Most of the attendees are having conversations about Loki's gift, while others are enjoying the music and eating meticulously prepared food. There are some, however, who appear to be in various states of composure. A couple holds each other quietly in a corner. A man laughs so hard he seems on the verge of tears. And an older gentleman sits on the floor, his breathing particularly laboured. Is... is he okay? I might pop up to the old dude who looks like he's not breathing very well. <gasps> I'm, I'm, sir, should we should we get you outside for some fresh air? It's, it's quite stuffy in here. He looks at you with wide eyes. Let me get a look at him. I am a doctor, I think. Yes. You are a doctor, Ephraim. Good. Right. Oh, yes. Bloody good one. I, uh, I take heart at Francis's words and I, I give him a once over. You want to roll medicine or first aid or something? Mm hmm. Ooh, that's a 10. So that's a hard success. It appears to be an emotional state rather than a physical one. Man's healthy as far as I can tell. Just a little, uh, rattled. <gasps> I quite understand, sir. Um, perhaps something to steady your nerves, actually. I think perhaps I could perhaps I could uh, use a little something as well. i look around for anyone dispensing trays of medicinal brandy or similar. If it's any help, Alice has a little vial of smelling salts in a chatelaine at her waist, along with some sewing scissors and other stuff. <laughs> she could uh, pass that over. Check off chatelaine. <laughs> yeah. It's like a utility belt. You share your smelling salts with the old man. And Ephraim, while you're looking around, you walk into the drawing room, which is on the ground floor. You see, in the center, surrounded by candles, a strange green statuette of a tentacular creature. The dancing candlelights cause the idol to cast suitably strange shadows and its presentation suggests the idol is some sort of main attraction at the party. Many people just stand and stare at the thing, while a few of them reach out to touch it. An older woman comes forward and places both of her hands on the idol, and then makes a guttural coughing noise three times before walking away. Does it have bat wings? Ha <laughs> ha you're not there. Uh, uh, oh. Ephraim, spot hidden, please. Uh, but it probably does. That is a six, so extreme success. You note that the old woman never actually looks at the idol throughout this time. Her eyes are downcast as though in supplication or prayer. Mm. Um, and everyone else, while you're helping the older man, whose breathing seems to calm down a bit, but he's still doesn't talk to you. You see Ruth. She comes up to you and whispers, I'd, I'd like to talk to you, please, in, in private. Uh, uh, of course, where? 
Follow me. Uh, Ephraim, what were you looking for again? Drinks. You get some drinks and return to see the other three following Ruth upstairs. Up the stairs. I hand a drink to uh, this coughing old man <laughs> <laughs> and uh, pat him tenderly on the shoulder and then I follow the others. She takes you to the third floor and leads you to one of the bedrooms. She locks the door behind her and she turns to you. She says, The play, while quite horrible, is the least of my concerns at present. Chillingworth is going to do something awful tonight at the party. He intends to sacrifice human beings to the Dark God. He intends to what? Sacrifice. We have to stop him. Oh, my word. Do you know how? How how, how could he possibly do that? This, this, this house is literally brimming with people. Francis. We're not going to stand around. Francis, oh. he already started with the man who played Bertie. Can't you see? I... No, he must be here somewhere. He's here somewhere, isn't he, Ruth, the 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 leading man? I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm. I think the victims he's going to sacrifice are already in the house. Maybe if we find them and we set them free, he won't be able to do it. Where are they, Ruth? Ah, I I don't know exactly, but I know that the cellar is locked and also the attic, so so they could be in either of those places. How do we know that the people aren't just going to be handpicked from everyone drinking and smoking? What if they just give themselves up willingly? I... I don't know, I... Well, where's the man himself? Surely if we keep an eye on him, he, he can't pull any of this madness. I, I think he has predetermined the people and he must be keeping them somewhere so, so that they don't I don't know. Uh, that's what I've heard. We're on the upper third floor. Yeah. Are there other people up on this floor, really, or not so much? Uh, not in the room. You're locked in the bedroom. Sure, but but I mean, is is the rest of the upper third floor busy or not? Do you know? What I, mean? Do you, I mean, has the party spilled up to the very top floor or not? Yeah, really? the party's everywhere. Okay. So. Mostly. Well, which room has the door to the attic? If we're up here anyway, perhaps we could poke ahead through. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, the attic, yes, that's a good place to check. It's worth checking. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll take you to the attic. What do we say if somebody asks us what we're doing? No one's going to ask us what we're doing. Everyone's doing strange things. <laughs> that's a fair point. She leads you to the attic door and she says, Oh, it's locked. But... Um, a member of the artist's mind, Sam is his name, he has the keys. It, it would be too suspicious for me to ask him for them, but you could try and take the keys from him, if, if you like. How stoutly is this door locked? Uh, Forward, Gabriella. Legs of steel. Well, yeah, I mean, that's literally <laughs> what I'm thinking, right? She I mean, is hench. Uh, I see how this is. That that might be too much distraction of property. Yes, and that noisy too. Draw some oh. attention. I'd rather not, if that's all right, unless it's the last resort. Is there not any other way in? Uh, perhaps um, 
Is there a, a way to to climb up from the from the windows? Uh, it's quite high up. I'd rather not risk that for anyone, anyone's sake. I used to climb many buildings when I was little, you... or any other way in, in inside the house. Another stairwell, perhaps, or. It's the only door. Uh, I believe it's either breaking in or taking the keys from Sam, I'm afraid. I know it's very much an outside chance, but I am well stocked with hairpins if anybody knows how to break a lock. I'm afraid not. Silence. <laughs> what I could do, perhaps, to make things a little bit less suspicious, rather than just pickpocket the keys, try and make it into a little show, make them disappear, and then never give them back if you didn't get the last bit. Oh, yeah. So, like, ah, the spirits are upon us. They are with us, and they see something in your pocket they want. That kind of thing. Ooh, I like Exactly. If you point Sam out to me, Ruth, then I will see if I can convince him that the spirits want his keys. Uh, I feel like he, he might he might tell if if he even suspects that we're trying to take them but you know best uh, it is a risk there's no way to take them without telling him is there not really okay uh, I guess you could just like dance with him and try and pickpocket him there is that too but I I am not a professional at mm. stealing from people Hmm. If okay. only those people who pickpocket Ephraim were here. <laughs> no, don't remind me. <laughs> if only we had a bouquet of urchins. <laughs> okay, everyone, uh, look casual. Uh, d- try to not draw any attention. We're not trying to do anything unusual uh, or strange. Francis is with this. <laughs> <laughs> Be natural. Uh, <clears throat> having Ruth, said uh, that. Before before Ruth kind of leaves us a little bit, I wouldn't mind. Well, she I think, doesn't leave you. Okay. Um, well, when she's kind of concluding the conversation, then um, Gabriella Gabriella is a little bit a little bit dubious in that she seems to know exactly what to do. Almost is she is she trying to you know double cross us sort of thing. Well, that's smart, actually. It's worth uh, checking the bottom of the stairs to make sure uh, Cecil and his buddies aren't going to just, like, push yeah, us like, into the attic oh, as soon no, as we get it open. Oh, no, it's so terrible. Please help with the door and, uh, you know. Is she genuinely trying to help get people out? Yeah, psychology role, maybe. Yeah, this is definitely sus. To get a sense on how, how legit do we think Ruth is? Or do we think Ruth mm-hmm. is part of the conspiracy, man? Okay, uh, would you like to roll psychology? I Always. Mm. If I can. But unfortunately, I can't. Because oh, yeah. so, that's a 79. <laughs> Alice got a hard success. 19. I failed. Embarrassing. Failure over here as well. Alice, uh, you can tell that Ruth is very afraid and agitated. Um, that could be in either way, though, couldn't it? She could be afraid and agitated because she she thinks we suspect her. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, obviously, I don't 
know that you know this, but Gabriella was thinking anyway of kind of buying a little bit of time for you, for the rest of you, um, you know, kind of keeping Sam busy. Um, you know, she's not just going to immediately steal the keys sort of thing. So, yeah, she wants to buy time for the rest of you to go and do what you need to do. I still think we should keep an eye on Chillingworth. Hmm. Well volunteered. <laughs> I do have my pistol. I should raise this at this point, but I would have brought it to the uh, dress rehearsal. It's nice and easy to conceal. Yeah, uh, if, if, if I if I shot anything other than shotguns, I would have considered bringing a firearm as well, but I didn't think I could really stick a shotgun down my trousers. That's fair. That's when you need a sawn-off and a skirt. <laughs> okay. So, as uh, you're about to go steal some keys and look around the party, this is where we're going to end today's episode. Oh. Drama. This brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much, everyone. Jason, Noxicals, Hal, Lydia, and of course, our amazing co-editor, Brayden. You have all been the best. And a big, massive thank you to our listeners. You're all exceptional. Your listens, comments, and ratings are incredibly helpful. But if you want a way to support us further, please consider joining us over on patreon.com forward slash stars are right, where you get access to episodes a week early. We'll be back shortly to record Beyond the Madness for our Cold Elder and Avatar tier patrons. They get access to behind the scenes discussion after every episode, as well as bonus episodes, exclusive Discord channels, and more. Speaking of Discord, you can find an invite link to our Discord community as well as all of our social media links on our website at starsaride.com and in the description of this episode. Come join us. Now, farewell, dear listeners, until the stars are right again. Before moving on to this week's Beyond the Madness, I'd like to urge our lovely fans to leave us a review and let us know what you think. Reviews help us reach more people and give us that extra boost of enthusiasm to keep doing what we love. You can find all the places you can review us at starsaride.com forward slash reviews. Thank you.